Hi, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm Lisa, your host, and this podcast is in partnership with PR Daily. PR Daily is a great resource for communicators like me. I drop in there to get my training, to get more information about what's going on in the industry, and really just to learn more about what my colleagues are up to as well. So to find more episodes of the podcast, please join me there at prdaily.com or uh, join me at the website, which is fridayreporter.com. And if you like the show, be sure to leave a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, because that really helps get the word out about the podcast and the work that we're doing here to get you guys to know more about the reporters that cover your industry. Well, hello, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter Podcast. Today's episode is with my good friend, Susan Crabtree, who is the White House and national political correspondent for Real Clear Politics. Susan, thanks so much for being with me. It's great to be with you again, Lisa. Tell me, Susan, so much of what you do is I mean, paying attention to national trends, how it translates in the states, you're, you're omnipresent and the work that you do is really deep and dedicated and thoughtful. Uh, I say all that because, you know, right before we get on the phone, I always take a, just a quick peek to see what it is you've been up to lately. And you've been very busy, my friend. <laughs> Primaries, um, a uh, lot lately, uh, the crazy, um, Primaries on in California last week that uh, were sent shockwaves across the country with the uh, district attorney, San Francisco district attorney uh, Boudin's uh, recall. Mm-hmm. And so I'm covering, you know, we're going to be tracking the effect of that crime is having on the midterms in November and these different um whether this San Francisco DA Budin's recall is going to have reverberations and other uh, DAs across the country that were uh, maybe former public defenders or have been uh, had a perceived weakness on crime. Uh, so that has been keeping me busy. And then um, the January 6th hearings, I'm not covering those explicitly, but this week um, uh, we had an Afghanistan briefing in the middle of the hearings that uh, Republicans and veterans uh, were concerned about uh, that it was not in a public uh, it was not in a public forum. It was classified at a very high level. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a, a feeling that that was a contrast to what was going on with the, with Democrats on January sixth. They were pushing for full transparency mm-hmm. when um, they were trying to another very bad moment uh, for the Democrats and the Biden administration. They're not providing much transparency at all on with the Afghanistan withdrawal. Right. I mean, it's been a a tremendously busy year overall for news <laughs> year. I mean, really, it feels like a, many, many years have been clumped together. But Susan, you've had uh, you've had experience at a lot of different well named, well known publications inside of Washington D.C. Will you talk to me a little bit about your background and how you got into journalism? Sure. Um, so I came out to D.C. in 1994 with an American Society of Magazine editors. Uh, uh, internship, and I was still finishing my degree at University of Southern California. Uh, but I decided, why go? Why finish it in in Los Angeles, in the <laughs> middle of Los Angeles, when um, you could do it in DC? So I interned at um, National Geographic Traveler, mm. and then afterwards, I got a job at uh, National Geographic proper, um, the Yellow Magazine, which they like to call it, and. 
uh, I really wanted to do magazine journalism, but soon found out that if you really wanted to write, uh, you're going to have it was going to take um, a lot, very long time to get a real job at National Geographic, and most of their writing is outsourced to expert mm-hmm. uh, writers that they've been working for for years. So, mm-hmm. I actually um, they were circulating my resume. Uh, which is called in this uh, American Society of Magazine Editors, which is ASME is the shorthand, uh, to different places. And um, the Washington Times called me and I decided to go work for the Washington Times because they guaranteed that I'd be be interviewing uh, politicians, elected uh, officials right off the bat. And I did. I did. I I first... um, my first interview was with Wendy Graham uh, when Phil Graham was running for president. So that's dating me. That's going back a few years. But it was it was a really fun, interesting job, and it got me right into the mix. Yeah. And from there, I went to Capital Style Magazine, which was kind of a fun, um, kind of Washingtonian type. Uh, and it was very similar to George in the way it sort of was irreverent. Mm-hmm. And I loved magazine journalism, even though it's dried up. It's it's a dying field for journalists. But mm. uh, back then, it was still quite robust, and uh, I loved that job. It ended. It was owned by the Economist, and it did fold. And so when it folded, uh, the sister publication, and we shared the same building with, is Roll Call, and I went to work for Roll Call, and that's where I got uh, just the every day in the trenches on the front lines of covering Congress. Um, really, we had, a, it was before Politico, so it was um, the inside baseball Politico before um, that publication. It, it was where a lot of people, my peers, uh, I think you had Ben Pershing on mm-hmm. before, um, Chris Saliza, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Preston is at CNN, um, Paul Kane at the Washington Post, uh, Jim Vandehei, uh, we all were there at the same time. Yeah. And uh, I covered House Rep- I covered a lot of different things, <laughs> but I covered uh, House Republicans um, when Tom DeLay was in power, and uh, that was quite an education. So um, I ended up uh, moving from there to a couple different jobs. Um, I was a variety's um Washington correspondent mm-hmm. for a few years. Uh, it kind of bridged my West Coast, uh, East Coast experience. I bet it I was from Los Angeles. Had great invites. Uh, got to cover Jack Valeni, the legend who ran the Motion Picture Association. Mm-hmm. And he was wonderful interview. Uh, always quoted Shakespeare with him in every interview. How about that? Uh, <laughs> quite, quite a wonderful guy. And um, in general, he passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sad for me when he passed away. But uh, so I covered the industry there. I covered the, F- uh, the Federal Communications Commission and Congress's regulation of Hollywood and uh, in the gaming industry. It was it was really interesting. And people get it confused with Vanity Fair and Variety, but it's a quite different publication. So it's more business oriented. Um, from there, uh, the Hill newspaper needed a number three editor, and they snagged me from there. And uh, I was at the Hill for seven, 11 years, 11 years. Mm. And yeah, I was uh, number three editor there, mm-hmm. and I was an investigative reporter for them. Covered ethics on Capitol Hill, uh, which was is always a great 
beat. I was going to say, that's not a slow beat at all. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, you know, the gift that kept on giving yeah. for me. And um, I ended up, ended, ended up um, going to the Washington Examiner uh, where I had a lot of friends and I covered the White House. I had the opportunity to cover the White House directly. So that was during the Obama administration. And uh, I got to, to be in the briefing room on a regular basis. And so uh, that was quite a treat and hard, too, because I was coming up from a conservative um, publication and trying yeah. to be fair but tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that I did that for a number of years, uh, four or five, and then Real Clear uh, Politics, 2019. And I've been here since then. Talk to me a little bit. So Real Clear is, you know, for those of us inside the Beltway, we we know it as a as a great platform not only for original reporting but also aggregating of tremendous news stories and polling. Talk to me a little bit about the philosophy behind the the publication itself, though, for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, we're known mainly for our polling. Um, when you want to hear know anyone any politician, be it from. Uh, Joe Biden, um, to people facing primary challenges, when you want to know what their approval ratings are, uh, you go to Real Clear Politics and you can track it. We have it graphed out. It's very digestible, easily digestible information. Uh, So that's mainly what we're known for. Uh, But we've had a great um, crop of reporters um, who have worked for Real Clear as well. Right now, um, there's just a few of us. And w- what we like to do is, you know, sort of, we have a, a daily, uh, a person who's at the White House daily, mm. uh, and the, Phil Wegman, he asks wonderful questions at the White House, and mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it, he really, um, he, he does it in such a way that it's not uh, confrontational, but it's really penetrating. Yeah. Uh, and... Then we have myself. I provide more of a national perspective since I've been at the White House, but I kind of take a step back, mm-hmm. and I can cover different um, trends around the country. And we just do it in a very. Our writing is our, an emphasis. Carl Cannon is my uh, editor, mm-hmm. and he has a Pulitzer, and he's a wonderful, wonderful, talented writer and editor. So they the value is um, they put a premium on the writing there. And I think it it really makes the pieces more powerful. And we're much more sort of like a a more center-right Atlantic, I would think. You know, that's what what it's going for right now with our reporting. And it feels that way. I mean, it really does. I mean, the the reporting that you're doing is is thoughtful and it's not – it's not, you know, 250 words of the quickest thing that's happening. It's a lot more thoughtful. It's really sort of, to me, it's very reflective of trends and um, anticipatory of, of what, you know, this particular episode or event might mean for something else down the road, um, at least from from my vantage point. And that, I think, it seems to me like gives you a little bit more room to, to be thoughtful about that work. Yes, and I can do some investigative reporting and actually have time to do it. Uh, which is nice. I um, don't always do investigative reporting, but uh, you know, you have that liberty. If you have a good idea, you have to pitch it, and um, they'll—they're usually very receptive. Uh, and so, I have a broad range. And I've, of course, you know, I'm—I've been in the business now for 
Okay. Uh, going on three decades. Yeah, it's kind of scary. That's okay. We're both um, about the same age, my friend. So we're, we're in it together. Um, so it's nice to ha- uh, that that you have that trust with your editor, mm-hmm. and um, that you can sort of pick and choose what you want to cover, uh, because there is so much out there. Um, but I like to do things kind of. I like to zig when other people are zagging. So yeah. um, I'm, you know, right now um, working on a. Uh, donor story about um, who's funding some of these climate change investigations on Capitol Hill, uh, PR campaigns supporting those. It's kind of, you know, you can, you have time to do the story right. And that's so rare right now. Absolutely. And and I think it's, it's the one thing that, that for the work that you do, it is, to me, uh, perhaps it's not in a magazine, but it does feel a lot like mag- magazine feature where it's longer and thoughtful. And, and it, it's clear to me that you've been given a little time to, to prepare and report on, on what it is you're doing. Yeah. And that's, like I said, if it's not a breaking thread, I had to cover some of the primaries this past month or, or two months. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have to do that on that deadline. But it's still in a much more um, writerly way. Uh it always has improved also in the editing process uh, because Carl is such a good editor. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we are, we are much more magazine style if you read uh, myself and, and Phil and some of the other reporters. So mm-hmm. we have an investigative side that's purely investigative. Um, so those writers are also really go. They have time. They have a lot of time. They go in into a lot of um, depth of really, really uh, deep dives in their reporting, but uh, we are more um, topical. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's great to know that 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 is there because there are so few uh, publications that really have that that depth and have the ability to really sort of get into that anymore. The the whole landscape from the time you and I started has changed so dramatically that, you know, we went from a time where most – stories were, you know, had a longer tail and there was the ability to uh, really sort of report out, whereas now it's, it's a lot of the chasing of the breaking and, and, and which is fine and important and useful in Washington. But, uh, but I do think that there is still very much a need for the kind of reporting that you're doing. Tell me a little bit about, uh, as you look across, you know, sort of the, the, the career that you've had in a lot of different really well-known publications, is there something that stands out to you as a story or a, a, an opportunity perhaps that, that you really are especially proud of? Well, you always think about the most recent thing. Yeah, <laughs> You're only as good as your last yeah, story. No. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I covered, I think the arc of my career was very, um, was shaped uh, by 9-11. Yeah. And I, that day going up, I didn't go up that day. I was at roll call, which is um, kind of a stone's throw from Capitol Hill, a couple mm-hmm. of blocks away at the time. And we, I just remember that day kind of losing your, your innocence, your face goes white. You see the uh, planes hit the building, our whole country experienced that. Mm-hmm. And the next day we had to uh, walk up to Capitol Hill and I was, I, you knew you were walking towards a target mm-hmm. uh, and it was a, it was just a your kind of landscape. Your whole landscape had changed. Your whole mindset about your innocence and um, mm-hmm. you know the, your vulnerability uh, changed. So I remember, I remember I'll give you a, a funny about it 
a funny story about it. So I was in, going towards the Pierrot Press Gallery and a police officer, this was on the second day, so this is at September 12th. Uh-huh. Uh, he says, get out, and he's using expletives, get out. And so I was like, you don't have to tell me twice, I'm getting out of this building. Uh-huh. So I ran out and to what was uh, the South one, I believe, where the visitor center is now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was the first person out of the building. I believe of it. Of the Capitol. I believe it. So I was like, yeah, I ran so fast because <laughs> I was so jittery. <laughs> and so um, then they brought out the House Intelligence Committee, and then they brought out the speaker, Speaker Hastert at the time. And I just remember thinking, oh, I'm not so dumb after all. Okay, I got out. So, <laughs> um, but then after that, you know, it was all constant um, false uh, suspicious packages. We were running out there a lot. Yes. Um, and it, you were on high alert all the time. So I actually covered the creation of the Homeland Security Department. Mm. Um, Dick, I remember Dick Army was the person who was, you know, limited government Dick Army was creating the <laughs> this mammoth new agency. Yeah. Uh, and I remember our um, intelligence failures. I covered all that from a congressional perspective. And then I covered military commissions when we were going after the 9-11 perpetrators. I covered the Guantanamo Bay issues that Feinstein was very involved in, Senator Feinstein. Um, I broke a lot of stories on that issue with mm-hmm. Senator Graham. Um and then, so I, my most recent story that has come full full circle here now, now we're looking at Afghanistan from a withdrawal point and the, mm-hmm. the chaotic um, debacle that that was. Yeah. So the, I think one of the better stories I've done is the most recent one I've done was last year when I did a story about the, Af- the women that w- received from the State Department, Women of Courage Awards. These are Afghan women that stood up to the Taliban. Either they were like cardiologists and they started their own practices during the twenty our our war over there and our support of the of women in and leadership positions, or they were the first elected governor um, of a of a section of Afghanistan. And we gave these women uh, Women of Courage Awards from the State Department, and we brought them over to the United States, and uh, they were out thinking. So they were, their names and their faces were very visible in the media. And then we left some of them behind, and I didn't name names, but mm. uh, to protect them. And then they've been uh, hiding in safe havens in Afghanistan and uh, trying to get out. And so I have been, I covered that in a story last year. And then I've been tracking them ever since. And I'm going to be doing follow ups on. Uh, what happened to these women and um, people that supported them. I'm in regular touch with, with some of these individuals that are just amazing, but it's sad. It's really sad to see so much um, blood, sweat and, and toil over um, uh, with in Afghanistan and then see women return to having to wear burqas and not being able to go to school. So over yeah. the course of 20 years to see such great progress, to only have it go backwards so fast. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, I think it's a testament to your work that you're in touch with these people and that you're connecting with them. I'll look forward to, to reading more about that. I, I, I too, um, I was in New York on nine twelve, and I, cause I worked for the governor of New Jersey and there is close to New York city or if not closer than Albany. So mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time and I, I feel like when I moved to Washington, I, I too also had those moments where the, the 
all, the Capitol Police would tell us to run for our lives, take off your shoes and run for your lives because there was an errant airplane headed towards the building or a package or you name it. Um, so I, 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 I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate that work that you did because it was on top of having lived through it. Uh, you mm-hmm. also reported on it, which I think is also um, even more of a reminder after the um, January 6th um, activities and, and the insurrection as it will. Um, also the coverage that came from our colleagues and our friends that were up there in the Capitol for that. And then just hours after, and then beyond it's, um, it's not necessarily what you were trained for. You were trained to cover politics and, <laughs> and, and, and here you are sort of in a, a very, very different environment. So, um, but I can imagine that it's very rewarding. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it was, you don't have a, you know, you're not having a choice on, uh, what what had to, had to be done after nine eleven, uh, but you had um, it was good to be covering uh, from a congressional perspective. I thought about going to Iraq and Afghanistan um, over the time. I never had the, the it never came together for me. Uh, but we that was deeply uh, it was a formidable time in my life, a formative mm-hmm. time in my life. And you knew friends that were serving over there, whether it was through the State Department or in a military capacity on the, um, so, you know, it, it, I don't think that the current um, generation of uh, reporters has that sort of um, deep personal connections to the story. Yes. And maybe that's good and maybe that's bad, you know, mm-hmm. so, uh, but we definitely lived through it and, uh, and we don't want to repeat that. Uh, period. So, you know, we have an interesting, on this war in Ukraine, uh, have a different perspective than maybe some people do. And Mm -hmm. uh, because it it is, um, you don't want to go too far in in getting us into another big uh, war footing. Yeah. Um, And long, because it doesn't seem like that's going away anytime soon. Yes, it's it's much longer than than anybody thought, I think, Mm -hmm. that they've Absolutely. They've survived, which is, is great that they can stand up to Putin. Um, but yeah, it's it, it just gives you a little different perspective. You don't want to launch into um, be jingoistic and just launch into this full um, you know, anti. Well, you don't want to just get onto a big war footing here with them. Um, but we do want to support Ukraine and stop Putin. But absolutely. to what extent are we going to get involved yeah. is a, a big question in our in my mind. Uh-huh. No, absolutely. And I think it's interesting to see how different administrations sort of take that take that approach and how they how they um, consider all of the factors that are in place. You talked a little bit about um, the climate change investigation and some of the other things that are going on on the Hill. What else uh, is there anything? else that you're sort of looking forward as we sort of head into the summer and I mean COVID sort of ebbs and flows as we talked about before we even got to record um is there anything else that you're looking forward to covering over the course of the next couple months is it going to be dominated by the primaries what are you sort of foreseeing for yourself yes I'm going to be doing another um I'm going to be doing a trip to Arizona um in the next couple weeks uh there's a great uh, race that's taking place on the Republican side. There's a Trump back candidate, Carrie Lake, who's taking on, um, who's facing off against another powerful woman on the Republican side. Um, it's like Karen Ro- uh, Taylor Robeson. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, she is a big Republican donor. Um, but this is going to be, a, uh, I think, the next 
most interesting primary race. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do a little on the ground reporting and see how that debate goes. It's taking place June 29th. And uh, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) so we'll see if, uh, yeah, who can, they're, they're going to be facing probably on the Democratic side, the Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs. And so yeah. it's going to be a little bit of a rematch like the Georgia race was with yeah. Brian Kemp. There's going to be elements of, you know, who supported uh, Trump's uh, recall campaign of the uh, uh, the election integrity issue, how much did they support it, what impact that's going to have mm-hmm. on the primary and the general race. So I think that'll be a fun one to do. Uh, and, and, all, always, and all women in the race, too, which I can't think of another race where there's on all sides of the uh, the challenge, you know, all the challengers and the and those are, that are coming together will all be female. So that'll be fun to see, too. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I thought the race would be interesting as well. Yeah. And yeah, so down and, and then um, certainly I'm looking at uh, the school shootings. Um, oh, sure. I yeah, I, I think the gun legislation on Capitol is very interesting because we've lived through so many of these uh, sh- these tragic shootings, and then we see this is the ebb and tide of everyone. The poll numbers are pro, very pro uh, gun control right after the shootings, and then they they subside, and uh, it seems like there's a new momentum with after the Uvalde shooting, um, and people are really. Uh, at this point, you see a little bit more momentum. We'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm a, also a, a mother, so I feel like uh, I'm hoping that's not why I'm really tuned in and think there might be some some change. I mm-hmm. also like to see, you know, to, to track how school schools are fortifying themselves in the wake of this, whether we're going to use COVID money, uh, the unspent COVID money to do it. Uh, there's ideas out there percolating on Capitol Hill for um, make, hardening our schools so that they become safer places. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to tracking that as well. I am too, both professionally and personally. And I think you and I, mm-hmm. as we mentioned early on, we both have um, friends and family that are that are teachers that are obviously not just our own students that live in our homes, but also teachers that are part of our lives that we want to make sure are safe and um, and you know safeguarded so that there is not this continued uh, terrible news cycle and terrible just tragedies that are happening. Yes, we went from uh, yeah. I think teachers are, are live in fear, and that's. That's just terrible. They shouldn't be. They should be focusing on their students and not have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. So we went from trying to get our kids back in the classroom yes. to uh, now. Now that they're back, we have to worry about basic safety. Uh, so I'm interested in how that's going to impact this whole uh, school board uh, uh, issue with that affected the uh, Youngkin race. It seemed to that mm-hmm. parents need more control over the class. What takes place in the classroom and. Um, and President Biden saying, oh, well, I think it was a slip up that he was saying, you know, the teachers really control what takes place in the classroom and the teachers have more control over the kids. And of course, that's a controversial statement. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that the safety issue is going to push that a little bit to the side. And so uh, Republicans are going to have to regroup on on that particular issue. Certainly parents are still upset um, over what happened during COVID, but we at least have the kids back in the classroom, mostly unmasked, um, although some masks are coming back mm-hmm. in California and elsewhere. Uh, but, but yeah, now we have, we have to get back to basics with uh, school safety and I'll be, I'll be covering some of that. 
too. Never a dull moment for you. Always so busy. (laughs) But I'm so grateful for all the work that you are doing. Susan, uh, we're getting to the end of our conversation. We could go on for another hour. So many things to catch up on. But I, uh, I'm curious as I, you know, as I build out the podcast, as it continues to grow, I'm always curious, uh, is there someone uh, that you might recommend for a future episode? Yes, I have. Well, my colleague, Phil Wegman is always um, wonderful. He is um, one of the brightest stars I have been around. It's not just because we work the same place. I've, I was an editor at, at the Hill for many years, so I see a lot of raw copy. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the most talented writers, young writers I've seen. Um, so I would recommend him. Phil awesome. Wegman is our White House correspondent. Okay. Uh, yeah, he, he would be wonderful. I would love to I would love to talk to him and I'll reach out to him and I'll tell him that you nominated him. Susan, <laughs> I'm so, so glad to have had your time today. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work, my friend. And I uh, look forward to catching up again soon. It's my pleasure, Lisa. I really uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak in you know, such a thoughtful way. And that's today's Friday Reporter podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.